Marjorie. First scripture today is Exodus chapter 1, verse 8 through chapter 2, verse 10. It's starting on page 88 in your Pew Bibles. Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them or they will become even more numerous, and if war breaks out, will join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor, and they built Python and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter and harsh with labor in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shifra and Pua, when you are helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery, delivery stool. If you see that the baby is a boy, kill him. But if it is a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt told them to do. They let the boys live. Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? The midwives answered Pharaoh, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They are vigorous and give birth before the midwives arrive. So God was kind to the midwives, and the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. Then Pharaoh gave his order to all of his people. Every Hebrew boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. Now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me. I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. 
when the child grew. Older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. The next reading is from Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 20, and can be found on page 1524 in your pew Bibles. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. This is the word of God. Well, friends, this morning I'm going to uh, just reflect for a few minutes after I pray on the, the gospel from uh, a reading from Matthew today. And then, as you know, today, this Sunday is our last Sunday with Hector and Lydia with us. And so uh, in talking over the last few weeks, I kind of asked them, what, what do you need to be able to leave well, to be able to say goodbye? And so um, we're going to have an opportunity after I share a, a few words which are really going to be a charge to both of you as you enter this new phase of life, but really it's, it's for all of us who are Christians. And then we're going to have an opportunity to gather around them, to lay hands on them and pray over them and bless them as they move into something new. And uh, Bill Propert, our lay leader, is going to lead in that prayer over Hector and Lydia. And then they're going to have an opportunity to share some parting words to us as the congregation and... Uh, and leave us with a benediction. And so that's, um, oh, and we'll throw amazing grace in there too. You see why I wanted to start a little bit early this morning. We have a lot going on, but, um, but a good full day. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we know that without you, we can do nothing. And Lord, as the, the very incarnation of God on earth, Jesus Christ, Lord, we see who you are perfectly. We see perfect love and perfect grace and perfect mercy. So, Lord, as we worship today, may we be filled with love, mercy, and grace that we can share with the world around us that they might come to know you. Work in us and through us this morning, we pray in Christ's name. This reading from Matthew chapter 16 is one of my favorite in all of the Gospels because I think it asks perhaps 
the most important question posed in all of Scripture. First posed to those disciples who were gathered at this town called Caesarea Philippi. And it echoes down the ages to each one of us who would seek to follow Christ. And that is the question that Jesus poses to his disciples. Who do you say that I am? Listen to what the disciples respond. He asked his disciples, who do, who do people say the Son of Man is? So when talking to his disciples here in, in Caesarea Philippi, Jesus starts with a fairly impersonal question, doesn't he? Who do people say that I am? In other words, as, as we're going around teaching and healing and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God, you know, and, and Mary's there in the crowd, what does is, what is Mary say about me? What does Steve say about me? What does Gary say? Who do people say that I am? And to the disciples, they respond, and they're not bad responses, right? Well, some say you're John the Baptist, a great prophet sent from God. Others say you're Elijah, one of the greatest of all the prophets in the Hebrew tradition. Others say that you're Jeremiah or another prophet. And then Jesus turns the question, but who do you say that I am? And Peter, who has a habit of opening mouth and inserting foot, gets it right. He says, oh, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And then Jesus commends him for perceiving and understanding and acknowledging, and then even more so for perhaps having the courage, the boldness, the witness to say it out loud. Jesus talks about the church. This is the first time in all of scripture the word ecclesia, which is the Greek word for church, is mentioned. And Jesus looks at Peter and he says, blessed are you. Because you haven't understood that from human wisdom and intuition and understanding. God revealed that to you. And on that rock, I will build my church. That the gates of hell won't even be strong enough to overcome it or to prevail against it. As I was thinking of, of Hector and Lydia in their last Sunday here with us today, leaving later this week, preparing to enter into something which must feel terrifying and scary and exciting and overwhelming all at the same time, I was reminded too that we're about to start another favorite season in my life, football season. Go Giants. Go Giants. I, I, I knew I liked you. And you know, I, I was thinking, on a, in a football game, when a football game goes, you know, there's actually not two teams on the field. There's three teams on the field. So there is the, the say, say um, there's the home team and then there's the away team. And their object is to prevent the opposing team from advancing down the field to score. There's the home team and the away team. That's pretty obvious to us, isn't it? But there's another team that also enters the field. 
That's the referee team. And they represent 354 Park Avenue in New York City, the National Football League, of which Roger Goodell is the commissioner. And they come on the field and they have a playbook. And they are not supposed to allow their preferences for either team get in the way of doing what they need to do. They represent somebody else and they enter that field to mediate these two teams coming together into play to make sure that it is fair, that it is according to the rules that have been set forth ahead of time, that everything goes as it should. That's that third team. And as I was thinking about that and about football season about to start, I thought, what a great image for the church. What a great image for the church. We've been sent forth into a world that is constantly at conflict. There is this side against this side. There are forces opposing each other all the time. And we as baptized believers in Jesus Christ have been commissioned, sent forth, given a manual to go into the world representing another kingdom, another way, another set of values. Another world entirely. And in doing so, just like those referees bring a little bit of the National Football League onto that field, when they step on to referee, we're bringing a little bit of heaven on earth, a little bit of God's kingdom to come to bear into the world. So Hector and Lydia, as you step into this new post, I want to offer you two charges, two things that I hope that you carry with you that I think this scripture shows us. First of all, have absolute clarity on who Jesus is to you. You see, friends, before Jesus can even talk to those disciples about the church and Matthew 16 and 17 and 18 and even actually to the end of the book, we find all these principles for what the church is supposed to be and how it's supposed to live out in the world, how it's supposed to bring the kingdom of God to bear upon the kingdoms of the world. First of all, Jesus asked them, who do you say that I am? Because until we have clarity on who Jesus is, we can have no effect on the world around us. We need to know who it is that we are representing. We need to know who it is. It's no... Accident that Jesus takes his disciples to Caesarea Philippi, this town about 15 miles northwest of the Sea of Galilee. It was out of the way. If you map the book of Matthew and where Jesus is journeying with his disciples, he takes them out of the way to go to Caesarea Philippi where he asks them that question. Caesarea Philippi was a favorite city of many of the emperors because it was the place of the goddess Pan worship. And there were all sorts of debauched activities that happened in Caesarea Philippi to worship the Greek god Pan. And it is against that secular pagan backdrop that Jesus asked his disciples that question, who do you say that I am? And Hector and Lydia and in all of us today, we live in a world with so many competing allegiances all around us. So many things that would 
seek to pull us in. So many things asking for our very best. So many potential objects of worship all around us. And Jesus still stands over and against all of those things. And he says, who do you say that I am? Know who Jesus is. Don't just know about Jesus, know Jesus. We can have lots of facts and information in our minds about Jesus and never know Jesus. Don't just know about him, know him. Because when you know him, you can represent him well before people who so desperately need the hope that only he can bring. Let that question ring in your ears. Who do you say that I am? And secondly, as leaders of the church, as going to a couple, few local churches in New York, leading those people well, being that ecclesia together. Remember what ecclesia means. Ecclesia is not just a Bible Greek word. Ecclesia was a common word in the Greek vernacular of the day. An ecclesia was a group of people who had been elected in the Greco-Roman states to represent a group of people. The ecclesia is a legislative term. It was people who were called out from among the masses of people to represent them. And just like those people who had been called out of Greek society to legislatively represent the group, Each one of us were called to represent Christ. And then there are people who come along the way who are called to lead a group of people in figuring out what it means to be the body of Christ in this world in which we live. And that's the two of you. Leading a little ecclesia, representing the people before God and representing God before the people. So in order to do that, first of all, you've got to know who Jesus is. And secondly, in a legislative sense, in a representative sense, never forget, never forget your rule book. Never forget your playbook, to use an NFL metaphor. Never forget the place that you can turn to in times of crisis, in times of disappointment, in times of joy and sorrow and sadness, where you can find what you need to represent God before the people and to represent the people before God, to lead that ecclesia. Know who Jesus is and remember what we have been given to bring the kingdom of God here on earth as we live in this day and age in which we do. Hector and Lydia, you go with our blessing. It's been a joy and a privilege and an honor to serve with you over this past year. As Hector and I have remarked together a few times, we only wish it could have been longer, but we give God thanks for the great year of ministry that we had. And as you step forward into this new role, you're going to face plant, 
You're going to fall down. You're going to mess up. You're going to have wonderful joys and successes. And then you're going to have moments when you lay in bed at night and you think, what am I doing? Because, friends, sometimes leaving an ecclesia seems so overwhelming. How in the world can you represent God before the people and the people before God? And the answer is you can't. It's only God's spirit working in and through you that can allow you to do it at all. So remember that as you step into this new phase of your ministry. You can't do anything on your own. It's only God working through you that can allow you to do anything at all. Remember who Christ is and remember what you have been given to lead the church well.